Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number seven in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, March the 20th. First, I'll be talking to Brenda McKeegan from Australian Plant Proteins, which has secured funding to commence the fit-out of a manufacturing facility of a pulse-based extract in Horsham, Victoria. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And then I'll be talking to IFM Chief Economist Alex Joyner about the outlook for the Australian economy. But now let's talk to Brendan McKeegan. Well, Brendan, uh, tell us about um, this new plant uh, extraction facility that you're building. Uh, yeah, so we, we've been looking at the opportunity to produce what we would call value-added plant protein uh, concentrate. So it's a, a powder form of protein that can be added as a food ingredient to, to various food categories and, and beverages. Uh, and we've been looking at this for about three years and we've built a um, an extraction process um, in on the outskirts of, of Melbourne, a place called Werribee, in a small scale. And we, um, we've taken that product to customers and, and got some, some very favourable responses from them. So 
the investment, the new investment of $20 million in a, in a facility in Horsham is to build out a, a full-scale commercial operation that will initially produce 2,500 tonne and then quickly um, wrapping up to 5,000 tonne per annum of, of high-quality plant proteins, which are all sourced from predominantly Western Victoria. Now, tell us about this uh, p- proprietary stack extraction process for pulses. We, we've developed this process and it's been, it's been in, in conjunction or, or we've, we've leveraged the services of uh, CSIRO to assist us in, in some of the elements of the extraction process, um, but largely developed it from scratch using our own food technologists. And we've, uh, we've been able to produce a, a quality plant protein which has some really good functional properties. So some of the, the currently available plant proteins, particularly pea protein, has uh, a relatively harsh taste and smell. Um, what we're able to do, particularly with fava beans, is create a product that's got a very neutral taste and smell uh, and, and a neutral colour, an off-white colour. So it, it works functionally very well as an ingredient. It also is highly soluble, so it works well in, in beverages as, as an, you know, an additional uh, protein supplement or, or being able to fortify um, existing you know, non-dairy products such as an almond milk with um, with a protein boost. Uh, so how much uh, protein does it have? Uh, it has between 86 and 88% protein. Well, that would be far higher than in many other alternative protein sources, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yes. And, and it also has a, a, a favourable amino acid profile, very similar to pea protein. So... Uh, it, you know, functionally across all of those elements, it, it stacks up you know exceptionally well, which is why you know the customers have, have loved it and and uh, are pushing us very hard to get this large facility built so they can you know they can start integrating the ingredient in their products. So, which who are your customers for this? Uh, we, we're not disclosing who they are at the moment because um, a number of them want to use this as a competitive advantage um, to be able to launch with a, a fava bean based protein product. Um, but there are a number of large Australian customers and, and international customers um, doing a series of product development tests and have, have completed, uh, in some cases, you know, full de- product development, so they're ready to, to start looking at you know, schedules around taking products to market next year. Oh, well, I take it this, is, this would be for a range of foods and beverages, uh, like you could have meat alternatives, protein bars and shakes and snack foods. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So our customers are, you know, food manufacturers who are increasingly looking at options in the alternate protein space. Um, some that have been there for some time, others that are um, more in traditional protein and looking at, as, as you mentioned, you know, meat alternatives and, and other forms of providing protein to consumers. But uh, the Eat Group set up uh, Australian plant proteins to do this, didn't it? That's right. Yes, we did. Okay. So when was it set up? So 2016, we, we set the business up uh, and, as I mentioned, have been developing that extraction process and and really de-risking the venture, if you like, by taking you know, product samples to customers and getting their feedback and, and ensuring that you know, we had a, a large addressable market before we um, facilitated the large investment. And how much, uh, how much of the customer base is global and how much is local? <laughs> Uh, well, there, there is significant global customer base, um, and, and I guess what I would say is, particularly in the last six months, the Australian customer base has, has started to catch up. So, initially, we, we were, you know, probably looking at, you know, potentially an 80-20 export local market. It started to swing the other way 
given um, some of the recent inquiries we've had from food companies here in Australia. And, and I think that's just a, a sign of you know the Australian companies and consumers starting to, to tap directly into this global trend of, of accessing sustainable proteins. Well, it's a huge market, isn't it, health foods? Uh, absolutely. And, and it, it really... Um, it's it's moved from the health food supplement area across to more of a mainstream food, and, and when I say it's moved, it's 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 moving and and it started that journey, uh, and and it's a lot of it's related to consumption habits, particularly when we look at how we consume protein. It, it's not so much a, a you know a scenario where we sit down and, and consume all our protein in you know one of the three main meals that we have. Um, a lot of diets and, and a lot of people are moving to a consumption habit that, in, that includes a lot more snacking and, and you know, large food companies recognise this and have vindicated publicly that that's where they need to be. So it's, it's about having access to you know, healthy, good quality snacks that have a, a good protein content as well. And then you overlay the, the component of allergens and, and you know, people who are gluten intolerant or um, you know, need lactose-free type products and and, and various other items gives us then a you know a really large addressable market beyond just a, a vegan or, or vegetarian type scenario. And I'd imagine the global demand for this would be quite high, wouldn't it? Yes, it is. It's significant. And and what we're starting to see with the rise of the meat alternatives is is a global shortage, particularly in pea protein. So so we're we're starting to see that you know demand supply curve moves significantly you know australia is extremely well positioned given we we grow a lot of legumes and pulses um you know in in an environment that is conducive to producing you know some of the highest quality product um but typically at the moment we're simply um having that cleaned and, and split and, and sent off in um in bulk to you know, places like egypt to consume a lot of fava beans for instance um and they're a, you know, a big importer of fava beans from australia and, of course, this uh, value-added food ingredient is 100% grown and manufactured in Australia. Absolutely. That, which, is a, which is a real plus, I think. Yeah, it's a significant plus. So, you know, the, the food supply chain and traceability is, is really key, particularly with consumers. Um, consumers want to read labels and understand where ingredients come from. So, again, um, Australia is, is extremely well positioned to, to play um, you know, a really valuable role in, in this high-end provision of, of food ingredients and, and protein. And, of course, uh, Australia has a reputation for clean food production. Yes, absolutely. Um, clean, you know, mineral content in our soil is low when you compare to a, a number of other countries. We, you know, we have access to, to clean water, so it, it just that. Um, traceability through the supply chain and provenance and um, you know, consistent access to good quality product is really key. And uh, you've had a big investment from Scalzo Foods, is that right? That's right, yep. They've come on board as our, our primary partner in this venture. Well, tell us about Scalzo Foods. So Scalzo Foods started back in the 70s, um, so it's just now into its second generation. Um, Michael Scalzo, the current managing director, is, is son of, of the founder, Quinn, uh, he um, or, or the business has predominantly been um, importing uh, and distributing food ingredients, and, and has built a you know significant business around that, and, and has got a, an enviable reputation as an excellent supplier in that area. They also do some manufacturing and, and packaging, um, and they also do some 
Um, or they've got some interest in some primary production of, of um, you know, various crops, particularly around the Mildura area. So, you know, they're a great partner for us. They've got good distribution in Australia and New Zealand, so we're able to leverage those skills. Um, they understand the market. They currently import plant proteins. Um, they've thoroughly tested our um, product, particularly the father bean product, and, and really love its application and, and can see how their consumers will, um, you know, will take it straight away. So... You know, as a um, a partner, a business partner in this venture, you know, we, we probably couldn't have asked for much better. And it's a family business as well, isn't it? Absolutely, private family business, and our company is a, a private company, so um, you know, we're able to work directly with those guys. Um, Michael will sit on our board, so it just makes a lot of sense for us. Right, and so there's a lot of commonality between both companies. Yes. Yes, there is. It, you know, synergy is is perfect for us as we you know build this business footprint and, and then look at other opportunities you know, in, the, in that plant protein space. Um, Michael and the Skelza guys are, are fully behind what we're doing and, and understand not only the local but the global potential. Well, Brendan, it's been it's been fascinating to watch and thank you very much for your time. Pleasure, Ryan. And now let's talk to IFM Investors Chief Economist, Alex Joyner. Alex Joyner, the, we, we have had uh, very low quarter of growth of 2.2% and there's all sorts of forecasts that the next quarter will be negative uh, with the impact of the fires and the coronavirus and the quarter after that will be negative. You've got S&P Global and Bloomberg Economics saying we're heading for a recession. Meanwhile, the government has unveiled a package to get us through the coronavirus, which consists of tax write-offs and help for small businesses and What's your assessment of the situation? Well, the starting point for the Australian economy wasn't great. Um, the national accounts for the fourth quarter showed, as you say, you know, economic growth was at 2.2%. But when you look at those figures, uh, you know, scratch under the surface a little bit, you see just how weak the Australian economy was entering this coronavirus phase. And What's notable to me and to other economists is just how weak the private sector is within those numbers. You're really seeing no growth from the private sector at all. Uh, business investment is particularly weak. Uh, it was interesting and notable from an economist's perspective when you, when you look at the figures. One of the key contributors to growth um, was actually stamp duty, uh, residential stamp duty, and as the property market recovered. It actually added 0.16 percentage points of the 0.5% growth we got in the quarter. And that just sort of underpins to me just it was a low, uh, low quality outcome for the Australian economy. And, and uh, the other thing that was notable to my mind was uh, a section that we look at called gross mixed income. Now, that is sort of economists speak for the net income of the small business sector. And that had been going backwards to the, to the fourth quarter, uh, it had gone backwards six uh, consecutive quarters. It had negative growth. So the small business sector was in quite a poor state entering the coronavirus period. Now, it is pretty uncontroversial to expect a negative quarter of growth uh, in the March quarter. The Reserve Bank have conservatively estimated that the coronavirus will take off 0.5 percentage points added to the 0.2 percentage points uh, subtraction from the bushfires which will occur over Q4 and Q1. Where their analysis stops short is outside the indirect 
impact of the coronavirus. So what the Reserve Bank and Treasury, for that matter, have looked at is the direct impact from less tourists and uh, less students coming to Australia. So particularly just the uh, impact largely from China. What they haven't looked at is the changed behaviours of businesses and consumers. And obviously businesses are in phases where you know, they're very, very cautious, they're winding back investment, uh, and they're probably looking at their uh, payrolls as well. And then the consumer uh, is obviously very, very cautious. You know, we've seen some changed behaviours in supermarkets. Just go to a supermarket and you'll see that. Um, and you know, the consumer is going to be much less inclined to go out and spend at the shops. Then you've got the additional uh, burden, I guess, on the economy of things being shut down and things being cancelled. You know, um, you know, I've had uh, people that have come to see me have, have cancelled those appointments. Um, you're seeing sporting events um, under pressure to cancel. You're seeing conferences cancelling. So there's a behaviour of people being very, very risk-averse and not doing what they otherwise normally would do. And that's also going to impact on the economy. So... As I say, Q1 is more than likely going to be negative and Q2 is certainly under pressure and some people are, are calling that a negative quarter and forecasting a recession for the Australian economy. What the government's tried to do now is to inject some confidence into the business sector in particular. We've seen the announcement today, uh, $17.6 billion really targeted at the business sector to keep them investing and to keep them uh, employing or at least to hold on to the people that they have employed and I think that's important to underpin confidence for the consumer because you know job security is key to keep people behaving and uh, behaving in a way that we would like them to in terms of spending money. Um, there's a little bit of concern out there that we've seen sentiments sort of start to crack a little bit in the in the consumer sector. We saw that in the in the Westpac consumer sentiment numbers you know, hit five-year lows and we saw the unemployment expectations measure within those data start to pick up. So that, that could be problematic if that sets in uh, and we see consumers really pull back. Uh, but what the government has tried to, to do today is to inject some improvement in sentiment in business and, and for the consumer side. And, and hopefully that will work. Uh, the RBA's cut interest rates, obviously, in the March at their March meeting by 25 basis points. It's pretty much expected now that they'll go again in April. And, you know, if I was being slightly critical of the Reserve Bank, you know, they've been caught short a little bit. You know, we saw the Fed cut 50 basis points. We saw uh, the Bank of Canada cut 50 basis points. And we've now seen the Bank of England cut 50 basis points. So central banks have been pretty aggressive in that space. So the Reserve Bank will likely go again whether they needed to wait to April to, to confirm this is sort of a, a topic of debate. Uh, but now the markets have really moved on to what will quantitative easing look like. And it seems like from some of the comments that uh, Deputy Governor DeBell has made over recent days that the Reserve Bank will be looking to lower risk-free rates and doing that in a way that targets a specific level of bond yield rather than going out and saying, well, quantitative easing will be 10 or $20 billion a month. What they're likely to come out and say is, well, we want the five-year bond yield or the 10-year bond yield to be a certain level. So what 
we call in the Japanese context yield curve control. So the Reserve Bank really targeting certain tenors to keep uh, those yields low and allow that free flow of credit through the economy. And that's that's probably coming in April uh, or May um, once the Reserve Bank reaches that uh, 0.25% uh, cash rate that it is defined as its you know, sort of lower bound for policy. So we'd expect also to see some additional additional measures from the Reserve Bank, I think. It would be prudent, I think, to try and ensure some of the free flow of credit uh, to the business sector via other means. Uh, we saw the Bank of England do that because just, you know, we don't want to see a situation where the Reserve Bank's got low interest rates, but the banks won't be lending any money. Uh, the, the Reserve Bank really needs to ensure that there is a free flow of credit into the economy if we want to see uh, businesses sort of continue to behave in a way that we would like them to through this challenging time. The question, though, is how long is this recession going to last? Well, it's a, it's a question we're all pondering, um, and we don't know because you know, what we're really seeing is the unfolding of the coronavirus in advanced economies. And you know, we've seen China being able to limit the spread of the disease. Now, probably their numbers are a little generous uh, in terms of they've really put some numbers out that would suggest that they've got it under control. I'm not sure that's the case. But what we're looking at are places like Italy and uh, South Korea and these sorts of places where you know, the numbers of people being infected is continuing to rise. Um, and what we're seeing in those economies is they're being um, increasingly, uh, the government is putting restrictions on the way people can behave. Uh, and therefore they're not taking part in activity in the economy. So, you know, we haven't seen the peaks in the numbers of infections in advanced economies, so no one is game to call an end uh, to, I guess, the, the, the spread of the disease, and therefore, you know, obviously economies are going to be in this downturn while the spread of the disease keeps going. The other interesting thing is I think we're heading now into a stage where fiscal policy will be very big for government, so we're almost back to the 70s again, aren't we? Well, I think that's right. I think what we're seeing or what this episode has um, accelerated is the need for fiscal policy and monetary policy to work together. I think we went through a period there from the late 90s when inflation targeting became sort of fashionable in central banks um, to sort of... You know, 2019-2020 when we really saw um, central banks not admit defeat but they were certainly admitting that their policy is much less effective than it has been before at these very very low levels of interest rates and you know most central banks had been calling before the coronavirus took hold for fiscal policy to take a greater role now I think the coronavirus has uh, crystallized fiscal policy makers into action um, and I think that's really what we're going to need to see going forward, even after this, after this economic challenge from the coronavirus, is that fiscal policy will need to take more of a lead because monetary policy is at the, uh, at the lower bounds of what it can reasonably achieve. And, you know, I don't want to say that monetary policy has made fiscal policy sort of lazy and, or complacent over the last 20 years, but certainly... The economic emphasis has been on 
monetary policy to ride out economic cycles. And I think that, that there's certainly been just an over-reliance on that. And we need fiscal policy net makers to you know, engender some reforms um, and, and get productivity going again if we want to see growth rates sort of, you know, at the 2 to 3% levels that we're used to. If not, I don't think we'll see those growth rates. Well, Alex Joyner, that is fascinating stuff. And thank you very much for your time. Anytime, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, the coronavirus pandemic will bankrupt most of the world's airlines by the end of May, the Centre for Aviation has warned, urging coordinated government and industry action to avert the catastrophe. Many airlines have probably already been driven into technical bankruptcies or are at least substantially in breach of debt covenants, the Centre, known by its acronym CAPA, said in a statement on Monday. Cash reserves are running down quickly as fleets are grounded and what flights there are operated much less than half full. Airlines worldwide have been impounding fleets in the hangar over the past few weeks as demand has plummeted and the situation is only worsening as governments impose arrival bans or mandatory quarantines on incoming passengers. The White House is looking at a rescue plan for its airline industry and European airlines are calling on their governments for emergency life support. Qantas has watched investors have raised $4.5 billion from its market capitalisation in the past fortnight even after slashing international capacity by nearly a quarter last week and putting staff on leave. Over the weekend, a Qantas spokesman said the salvo of government-announced travel restrictions would require further cuts to the Qantas Group's flying schedule beyond what we've announced last, just last week. Virgin Australia has also seen it's under a cloud, but has emphasised that, like Qantas, it is sitting on more than $1 billion in cash. Virgin's British cousin, Virgin Atlantic, on Tuesday cut its flight schedule by 80%, and asked staff to take it to eight weeks unpaid leave in the next three months. The airline has called for a government bailout of up to $15 billion, saying the British industry needed clear, decisive, unwavering support. The boss of airline intelligence and research, former Qantas chief economist Tony Webber, warned the worst was yet to come. And Qantas and Jetstar will cut international capacity by about 90%, and worrying still, domestic capacity by around 60%, until at least the end of May. Qantas said demand for air travel is unlikely to recover for weeks, possibly months. 30,000 employees will be affected and will be managed with a mix of paid and unpaid leave. The cuts to Qantas and Jetstar routes come on top of previously announced changes to services. In a statement, the airline said the changes were due to a drop in travel demand due to coronavirus and meant grounding about 150 aircraft. And Virgin Australia has suspended international flights from March 30th until June 14th. The airline will also cut domestic capacity by 50% to June 14. The moves will see the equivalent of 53 aircraft in Virgin's fleet grounded. The airline admitted the changes would hit its workforce, but did not put a number of potential job losses. And the federal government unveiled new relief measures for Qantas, Virgin and regional airlines hit by the COVID-19 pandemic and were made up of refunds and waivers of fuel excise. Air services charges and regional security fares totaling $715 million dollars. Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack said the estimated upfront benefit would be $159 million, which would reimburse the charges paid by domestic airlines from the beginning of February. As well as the relief from fees and taxes, there's speculation the government could also offer a line of credit, even though both Virgin Australia and Qantas have in private conversations told ministers they should be able to ride out the pandemic. And tourism industry leader Simon Whistleway said that watching the effects of the coronavirus devastate the Australian tourism industry is like watching a horror movie, 
that just keeps on unfolding. Mr Westway called on the federal government to keep upping its rescue package. He reiterated that the tourism industry directly employs 1 million Australians through 300,000 local businesses, of which the vast majority are small or micro-enterprises, often situated in regional areas. And the US Federal Reserve on Sunday cut its benchmark rate by a full percentage points to near zero and will boost its bond holdings by $700 billion to cushion the US economy from the coronavirus outbreak. In another emergency move to help shore up the US economy amid the rapidly escalating global coronavirus pandemic, the Fed will keep interest rates near zero until it is confident that the economy has weathered recent events and is on track to achieve its maximum employment and price stability goals, the Federal Open Market Committee said in a statement. But a sharp cut in interest rates by the Federal Reserve ahead of schedule and its pledge of massive asset purchases added to the alarm about the pandemic that has paralysed supply chains and squeezed company revenue, and markets plummeted as a result. The S&P 500 sank 12% its worst days since 1987, and extending losses as Trump said the economy could fall into a recession. The S&P wiped out its gain in 2019 and is now down almost 30% from its all-time high. In London, the FTSE 100 fell 4%. The S&P ASX 200 dropped 9.7% to 5,002 points, its biggest fall on record. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell 3.9% and China's CSI 300 closed down 4.3%. And Germany and the United States have become embroiled in a diplomatic battle over who will gain the rights to a COVID-19 vaccine now being developed by scientists in Tübingen, as both countries reportedly were preparing large bids. Donald Trump promised CureVac, the German biotech firm, US $1 billion, it's $1.6 billion Aussie, to give the US exclusive rights, Welt am Samtag, reported, citing government sources in Berlin. A condition of the purchase would make it available for use only in the US. Although the vaccine is being developed in cooperation with a state-funded Pearl Ehrlich Institute, CureVac is a private firm, thus limiting Berlin's option to impose an export ban. The German government has confirmed it is instead engaged in negotiations to secure use of the vaccine. CureVac said it abstains from commenting on speculation and rejects allegations of about offers for acquisition of the company or its technology. And heavy... Offshore investor selling of Australian government bonds has forced the Reserve Bank of Australia to prepare new coronavirus-fighting stimulus measures to calm volatile financial markets, including moving towards buying government debt securities and printing money. The RBA has also signalled it is ready to cut rates to a record low of 0.25%. And China's industrial output fell to its lowest level on record in the first two months of this year, and urban unemployment hit its highest rate ever in February, as the coronavirus brought the world's second largest economy to a standstill. Industrial output tumbled by 13.5% in the first two months of this year, and the urban unemployment rate surged to 6.3% in February, the National Bureau of Statistics said. The latest economic data also showed that China retail sales plummeted by 20.5% year-on-year in January and February, and fixed asset investment fell by 24.5%, down from 5.4% growth, when the data was last reported. And the cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix is likely to blow a $5 million hole in the budget of Network 10, capping off a horror week for the broadcaster that has seen staff sent home because of the coronavirus fears and the resignation of its CEO, Paul Anderson. The cancellation of the Grand Prix in Melbourne comes as broadcasters struggle with a changing timetable of cancelled and postponed sporting rights affecting hundreds of millions of dollars in sports rights. 
it's understood 10 had about $5 million in advertising tied up in the Grand Prix with major broadcast partners such as Kia. And the broadcaster will now struggle to make revenue targets for the quarter in an already tough media environment. Mr Anderson resigned on Wednesday, US owners Viacom CBS introducing a new co-head management structure that sees his role as CEO of 10 and Viacom CBS Australia removed. The network said it would run our regular programming schedule instead of the Grand Prix, and our sales team is currently working through the implication of the decision with our broadcast partners. It said it supported the decision to cancel for the well-being of our employees, partners, the racing teams, and everyone who was planning to attend is our number one priority. And telco major Telstra has told its entire Australian-based office staff to work from home from Monday for at least two weeks amid the unfolding COVID-19 crisis. The move, which is expected to impact thousands, marked the biggest of the nation's corporates to formally invoke a work-from-home policy for its staff. The telco has offices in each capital, with its headquarters in Melbourne. Telstra said there had not been a case of COVID-19 in its own workforce. Rather, the move was a precautionary measure. At the same time, Telstra has cancelled all events and meetings of more than 25 people and cancelled all domestic air travel. Big four consulting firm KPMG will split its workforce into a blue team and a white team from next week and keep them separate from each other to try to avoid infections. And the list of businesses sending staff home indefinitely is also growing. Macquarie has told 15,700 staff around the globe they should work from home from Wednesday. The ASX is working at home until further notice following an employee testing positive to COVID-19 on Saturday. UBS analyst Ben Gilbert estimates supermarket sales have risen at least 25% year-on-year in recent weeks due to the panic hoarding. This is consistent with comments on Monday by Woolworths Managing Director of Supermarkets, Claire Peters, who said Australia's largest retailer had experienced its highest sale for more than 12 months over the weekend, selling seven days of worth of toilet paper in a day. Masters Grocers Australia has called for a one-year wage freeze in response to economic challenges posed by COVID-19. The body, which represents 4,000 independent supermarkets, liquor, timber and hardware stores, such as those operating under IGA, Food Works and Might Attend, made a submission to the Fair Works Commission Annual Minimum Wage Review. And Crown Resorts said it's adopting several social distancing measures at its casino in Melbourne in light of the growing threat posed by the spreading coronavirus. Those measures include turning off every second gaming machine electronic table, creating a distance between gamblers at tables, restricting the number of players at each stand-up table to five players, and restricting the number of people in food and beverage banqueting and conference facilities to 450. In a statement to the Australian Securities Exchange, Crown said it has also implemented other precautionary measures across its Perth and Melbourne operations, including providing alcohol-based hand sanitizer and more frequent and strengthened cleaning measures. And Fisher and Paykel Healthcare a dual-listed manufacturer of medical devices used by hospitals in the treatment of respiratory illnesses, has experienced a spike in demand from the coronavirus and pandemic, which has prompted a profit upgrade. The company, listed on both New Zealand and Australian stock exchanges, is going against a trend as a wave of companies in other industries rapidly downgrade profits or withdraw any form of profit guidance as economies progressively shut down across the world. Fisher & Paykel has put on extra shifts and hired more workers at its factories in Auckland and New Zealand and Tijuana in Mexico as demand from hospitals and government agencies jumps for its respiratory humidifiers and devices used in ventilation treatments for hospital patients. 
Fisher and Pagel said on Tuesday it had upgraded its full-year profit projections for the 12 months ended 31st of March to between New Zealand 275 million to New Zealand 280 million from a previously flagged New Zealand 260 million to New Zealand 270 million. The company has also lifted its full-year revenue forecast to New Zealand $1.24 billion, up from New Zealand $1.2 billion previously. It had previously given guidance on February the 21st. Fisher and Parkle healthcare, healthcare shares have gained 18% since the start of January to $25.06 at the close of trade on Monday, to be one of the best performing stocks on any stock exchange at the time when the world's financial markets have crashed heavily. Fisher and Pagel Healthcare sells its products in about 120 countries, but a spokeswoman said on Tuesday that some of its raw material supplies have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic. And Cochlear had more than $2 billion wiped from its market value on Monday after scrapping its full-year earnings forecast because of the downturn set off by the rapid spread of the coronavirus in Europe and the US. The Sydney-based hearing implant maker cited delayed surgeries and lower sales as it led a wave of earnings guidance withdrawals and negative surprises, which snared advertising business Ool Media, travel software company Serco, and wealth manager Challenger. The widening circle of damage shows how the coronavirus is disrupting virtually every sphere of economic and social activity as its spread accelerates outside of China. Private hospital operator Ramsey Healthcare has abandoned profit guidance for financial 2020 as patients defer elective surgery due to the coronavirus outbreak. Aristocrat Leisure has withdrawn the outlook statement provided at its AGM due to uncertainty surrounding the outbreak. Elmo Software downgraded its financial year 2020 guidance, citing disruption to its operations as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mervac withdrew its financial year 2020 earnings and distribution guidance, citing uncertainty over the duration and impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Katmandu has, down, has downgraded earnings, warning COVID-19 will crib in-store sales in Australia and rip curl sales in Europe as shoppers shy away from mass gatherings or, or are in enforced lockdown. Dual-listed Fonterra Cooperative Group cut its interim dividend around uncertainty of the impact of COVID-19 could have on second-half earnings, but stuck to its full-year earnings guidance. And Telstra is warning customers phoning or messaging its customer helplines to expect longer wait times after it was forced to close call centres in the Philippines due to the coronavirus containment measures. The telco said the closures were made in response to policies announced by the Philippines government overnight. Call centres in Australia and India will remain open. It came as Australia's telecommunications firms announced they would suspend rivalries to cooperate on ensuring the nation's networks can cope with an up to 40% surge in demand as more and more Australians work and study from home. MBN Co will lead the special working group of telcos, which will include senior executives from Telstra, Optus, TPG, Vodafone and Vocus. The decision was reached after the government called executives from the major telcos to a virtual roundtable Monday to discuss the COVID-19 crisis. With businesses, universities and schools across Australia closing their doors and conducting businesses in class from home, the residential networks, both MBN and the legacy copper DSL, will see unprecedented demand. And the increase in quarantine customers has forced food delivery companies to balance a potential boom in orders alongside the risk of spreading sickness to customers and drivers alike. Both Uber Technologies and Deliveroo have said they're setting aside funds to compensate drivers who might fall ill or are forced to be quarantined. Deliveroo's other provisions include ordering hand sanitizer on behalf of drivers and letting customers in some areas of the UK order kitchen and household products from supermarkets via the app. Takeaway.com said that from Friday, all its deliveries from restaurants in Europe would be made contact-free.
And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Rahul Sood, Unicorn CEO and former GM of Microsoft Ventures. We'll discuss how Unicorn's upcoming experience launches will change the gaming landscape. Unicorn is an esports wagering and gaming company with investors including Mark Cuban, Ashton Kutcher, Elizabeth Murdoch and others. And I'll be talking to economist Professor Sinclair Davidson about the government's stimulus package and its shortcomings. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBiz, B-I-Z-Z, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a terrific week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 